Welcome to Highland Football Weekly with me, Ian Ault. Hope everyone is continuing to stay safe out there. Episode 19 this week sees us chat to a man who's no stranger to the Highland League. He's reported on the game in the Highlands for the Press and Journal and also MFR. Played in the league and also a massive fan of it as well. I used to love listening to the stories of Dave Edwards when we worked together for a short time whilst at the Press and Journal and I'm sure you'll love them too. Sit back and enjoy episode 19 with Dave Edwards. Delighted to welcome onto the podcast uh, a man who has covered the length and breadth of the country in terms of Highland League circles anyway. Uh, Dave Edwards, good evening, how are you? Good evening Ian, it's a delight to talk to you and thanks very much for welcoming me on the show. Yeah, it's great to speak to you Dave. Uh, we worked together for a, a short period of time um, after I left Cali Thistle and moved on to the, the Press and Journal as a sales executive and um, for maybe a year in the, the Elgin branch before uh, the Press and Journal moved into the city centre, I used to I used to love working out the Elgin office mainly because of your stories, and I used to I used to listen in awe. And a Monday was it a Monday morning, or was it a Monday morning? And there was a th- maybe a Thursday afternoon. You used to call around all the managers and players in the Highland League for your various different bits and stories, and it was a, it was a joy. Yeah, well, it was most most days I actually used to to touch base with the manager just to find out what was going on, and um, you know I, I was I was tasked with getting at least one story every day. So, uh, and my days off, I had maybe got to get two or three stories so I could file them and make sure they were there in the paper for the for the the day that I wasn't there. You know, the next day, mm-hmm. and um, that was quite fun. I uh, especially on a on a on a Friday, I used to phone all eighteen. Highland League managers as used to be so, uh, and then sixteen. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it kept me it kept me busy. That's for sure. Ian. Now towards the end of last year, Dave, you I know you're still involved. I've, um, you're still involved with Highland League and also reporting. But you you retired from the Press and Journal. A, a sad sad day for everyone uh, connected to the Press and Journal and indeed you know the the sports that you covered. How's retirement for you? Kind of you to say that, Ian. Um, it came to a it came to a time there was a little bit of a reorganisation being done in, in the P and J Sports Department, and uh, my intention was to go at the end of this season anyway. Um, I'll be uh, well. I'm 67 now, and my intention was to go at the end of the season. But the end of the season came a wee bit early, <laughs> and uh, I I sort of hung up my pen. But then within three or four weeks, uh, they came back and said, "Look, we actually want you to." To work a Saturday again. We want you to do the main game on a Saturday, as you've always done. And uh, I took that as a compliment, indeed. And it was great to be involved. And uh, who knows when we once get going again in the future? I'd like to think they'd still want me to to do the main game on a Saturday for the PNJ. Uh, I've done it for an awful long time, and, and I really enjoy it. You yeah. absolutely, Dave. And it's like um, that's like pie and bovril, isn't it? Dave Edwards and Highland League—they just go. And well, you said that. I remember. I remember my my first memory. And it is my first memory. I must have been about six years old, and it was uh, standing basically where the, the new station hotel is in my hometown of Rothes now, yep. looking across to the drill hall. And the drill hall is, is now the, the Grant Hall. It's a community centre. But on the steps of the drill hall, there was the Rothes captain, a guy called Tommy Martin, who, who uh, played for uh, Sterling Albion the season before, as did the other gentleman I remember at chap called Willie Grant, or King Willie Grant as he became known in Highland League circles, um, Willie and Tommy Martin with the Highland League trophy in season 58-59 the one and only time Rothis have ever won the Highland League, and that's my first real memory is them two holding that trophy aloft in the steps of the drill hall, and that's, that's a memory I'll never, I'll never go. Brilliant stuff, that's, uh, well that, that memories are what football's all about and uh, I'm going to show my age here, and I don't mean to rub salt in the wounds, but I was watching <laughs> my team win their first trophy that I'd certainly seen, and, and it was only in 1998. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to make you feel any older than you, you already are. Uh, Dave... Um, of course, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am, yeah. Um, for my sins. But we don't we don't yeah. want to talk about Hearts, because, I, I, well, what's happened this week is a... It's a real... Um, it's a... 
it's a kick in the teeth. But anyway, um, the legal challenge I'm sure I will be agree with you will there. be impending. Yes, Dave, you are well, obviously you, you were a journalist um, covering High on League for uh, the Press and Journal. I also want to talk to you about Murray Firth Radio as well because we have a a connection with Murray Firth Radio, having both of us worked on the on the sports desk at uh, various stages of our career. But um, you actually started out as a an assistant groundsman. 11 years old, is that right? <laughs> I was 10 actually. 10? Yeah, it was uh, assistant groundsman. I was, uh, my, my great uncle Geordie was the, was the groundsman at McKessick Park in Rothis. And uh, Geordie was getting on and uh, I used to go down and help him. Um, you know, I was, I was 10 years old and, and very, very keen. I used to go and help him and uh, basically I, I put up the nets, I lined the pitch on match days. I cleaned out the dressing rooms, I brushed the boots, and on a, on a Sunday, I washed out the dressing rooms after the game. So all great Uncle Geordie had to do, really, was get the grass cut, and he got the council to do that for him. So he was he was quite a shrewd character, was Geordie. He, he was getting, I think it was about 30 bob or two quid at that time for doing the groundsman's work, and it was, it was, it was a lot of work to be done. And he used to give me sixpence for doing most of it. And then after about three months, when the committee said to me, said, uh, what, what does your Uncle Geordie give you for doing the, 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 all the work, uh, Dave? And I said, well, give me sixpence. And uh, they said, well, we had a committee meeting last night and you've just earned yourself a 500% rise in your salary. The committee have agreed to make you um, officially the assistant groundsman at McKessick Park and your wages will be half a crown a week. Now, that was a lot of money, but when you add it to my half a crown from a paper, paper round, I was getting five bob a week. And it was wonderful because in those days you would get a bag of chips and a wee bottle of lemonade for sixpence. So I was I was just archery. I was I was made up. So yeah, it was it was something I loved doing for my hometown team and um, <laughs> it, that was my start of high league football really. So I've been doing it. I've been involved, I suppose, for the last seven years with high league football. And that that's the beauty of. Um, I mean, your own your own story there is quite unique, but I think that's the beauty of grassroots football. People just get they get sucked in one way or another. And they, they, it just becomes part of them. For you, it was assistant groundsman. It does. It does. And, and funnily enough, at the age ten as well, I made my debut at McKessick Park. I, I was only in primary five at Office Primary, uh, and I was we. Uh, I still am we. <laughs> but, uh, I was a goalkeeper. The weirdest one always got shoved in goals, and uh, I was selected for the primary team. Now there were most all the other guys were primary seven. I was primary five. Made my debut at McKessick Park uh, against Rothis, uh, sorry, Rothis against West End Primary for Elgin City, and the final score, Ian, will I give you? Yes. It was Rothis nil, West End Primary ten. <laughs> so I was only about four foot nothing, and it was a full size crossbar, full size pitch. I let in ten goals in my debut, um, and funnily enough, any time I go to Strasbourg Thistle. Mm-hmm. I usually meet in with a guy called Douglas Cameron and when I see Douglas he always starts off by saying David, do you remember and I said stop you there Douglas I remember the day that your pal uh, Ian McIntosh scored a hat-trick and you scored the other seven goals against me that day <laughs> so you don't have to go any further <laughs> he's, he's a good guy Douglas a very good player he developed into but yeah he scored seven goals that day and his pal Tosh scored the other three in my debut at McKessick Park the only way is up after that, is it? Yeah, yeah. If I turn up every goal I let in in that pitch, I'd be a very rich man by now, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, it's good to meet a fellow keeper. Going forward, is, that, is, is football, I mean, football was part of your life, it seems, from a very early age. Um, playing football, is that something that you, you were determined to seek out a career in, perhaps? Well, yes. It, uh, I suppose my, my first big game, really. Um, I went to Elgin Academy when I was, when I was 14. Uh, you, you'd two years at Rothes Secondary, and then you went to, to Elgin Academy, and I, and I went there, I was 14, made my debut basically right away for the Junior A team, which mm-hmm. was the under-15 team, and after season playing there, um, I played in the first 11 for the uh, Elgin Academy, uh, played for the Elgin Boys Club as well, and I was 15, we played the Celtic Boys Club. Uh, up at up at Borough Briggs, uh, it was a lovely sunny day. I remember it well. And um, there was over two thousand four hundred, I think, at the game that Jeez day. Off. We got beat two 0 but one of the goals for Celtic was scored by a very impressive youngster, fifteen-year-old youngster called George McCoskey, who went on to have a fairly successful career at Celtic Park. Um, 
Yeah, I remember that. And we we used to go and uh, select teams uh, latterly. Later on, after I stopped playing the boys' league, they used to go to places like like uh, America every couple of years. The okay. furthest we got was East Kilbride, but never mind. We went down to East Kilbride and we beat them one nil down there, and uh, that was a, that was a highlight of the boys the boys' league career. But schoolboy football was, was was great for me. It was very very special to me. Um, in 1970, um, I got to the Scottish final trial at Rosebury Park. I think it was Rosebury Park, they called it in Glasgow. And the guy came up after it and said, well, young keeper, uh, said, we think you're the best goalkeeper here uh, amongst the three, but you're too wee. Thank you, but no thank you. So I came home and, and I told my dad, uh, my dad was a Welshman, and he'd, he'd played under 15 level in goals for Wales. And I said, Dad, look, I want to go back and prove these guys wrong. I'd like to go back for a sixth year and see if I could get um, the chance to play for Scotland. It means an awful lot to me to, to, to do what you did when you were a kid at Wales. So it, it came around, and when it came to the... The way it worked out, Ian, is that uh, the, the north of Scotland trials uh, were held with the three regions. There was a north region, which was basically Inverness and everything north. Mm-hmm. There was a central region, which was Mern, Elgin, Forest, Grantown, that sort of area. And then there was the east region, which was Inverurie, uh, Banff, uh, Peterhead, uh, Fraserburgh, that sort of area. Yep. And when it came to the final, the, the, the North of Scotland trials, would you believe I was selected? I couldn't get a game because the North goalkeeper was a chap called Billy McDonald, who at that time, as a as a, a seventeen year old, was playing every week for Clackney Billy went on later to have a great career at, at, at Inverness Caledonian. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the central area, my area. I couldn't get a game there because the goalkeeper was uh, Richard Konzak uh, from Nairn County. Richard made himself the man in black as he was. He was Nairn County's first choice keeper for about 10 years and he started as a 16, 17 year old so I couldn't get to play for them. And in the East region, uh, I certainly wouldn't have been able to play for them because that wasn't my area either. But uh, Freddie O'Brien of Fraserburgh was a goalkeeper there. Uh, so I, I, I was ruled out of the, the final trial, uh, the final North trial or so I thought until the Friday afternoon when uh, my school teacher, my my uh, PE teacher, Ennis McDonald, the great Ennis McDonald, who, who led Elgin City to all those great results in the 60s and, of course, went on to lead Nairn County to their, their Highland League triumph later on. He phoned me up on the, the Friday afternoon and says, David, I want to speak to you. Come to my office. So I went down and he said... Uh, the trials are tomorrow at Station Park in Nairn. I said, yeah, it's a bit disappointing. I would have, I would have loved to be been there and had a chance. He mm-hmm. says, well, you do have a chance. I said, how do you mean? And I said, or Mr. McDonald, how do you mean? He says, well, I got a phone call uh, just a couple of minutes ago. Freddie O'Brien was training with Fraserburgh last night and he broke his arm in training. So they don't have a goalkeeper. Would you like to play for the East uh, of the, the region? You won't know any of the players, uh, but uh, it'll give you a chance to show what you can do at Station Park tomorrow. I said, hey, definitely, count me in. So I went along, I played the next morning at Nairn. Uh, Billy played for the, the North, uh, Richard Conzac played for the Centre, and I played for the East. And you played basically half an hour games against each. Yeah, yeah. So you yep. played two games. And again, <laughs> out of the three of us, I was picked to go forward to the, the next game, which was North the Fourth against South the Fourth. Uh, then we went forward to final trial, and then would you believe they had a second final trial? And after that, um, I was picked to play for Scotland. My reserve goalkeeper was a chap called Ian Brown, who was Alan Ruff's deputy at Patrick Thistle. Mm-hmm. He was six foot three, I was five foot eight and a wee bit. Uh, I was picked to play against Wales down in Cardiff. We beat them three two. And then the, the highlight of my football career: um, we played England at Airdrie, Broomfield Park, Airdrie. Mm-hmm. Um, went out to get their photographs taken at 20 past 2 hardly any in the ground they held the kick off up till half past 3 to let the crowd in there was 18,000 inside Broomfield that Jeez afternoon it was the only game in Scotland and uh, thankfully I, I, I kept my end up I didn't let in any goals and we got a 0-0 draw to share, to share the shield with England uh, at that time and we, with Jim Leishman playing centre half a guy Brian McLaughlin who started his career with Celtic went on to have a great career with Motherwell near United he mm-hmm. was midfield and a guy called Willie Pettigrew from Motherwell was sent forward. Oh, yep. mm-hmm. uh, Willie went on to have a great career with uh, Dundee United, Motherwell, and of course Scotland. So that was the highlight of my footballing career. And I'm sorry to bore you. And any of those, uh, any names in the England squad we might uh, might have heard of? The only one you would have heard of was a guy called Terry Geno, 
who went on to win the League Cup with, I think it was Middlesbrough or Southampton. He played for them both. And the last time I heard of Terry, uh, he was a goalkeeping coach at Celtic about yeah, three or yeah. four years ago. Wonder Martin and Martin O'Neill's. In terms of the, the goalkeeping career, any high on league appearances? Did you did you ever make it to high on league level? Yeah, I played. I signed for Elgin City when I was seventeen, and and I sat for most of the season on uh, on the bench and on my backside. Really, as a guy, <laughs> Dave Lottie was the Elgin goalkeeper at the time. Lottie had played when Elgin got to the Scottish Cup quarter final that great run in nineteen sixty seven. He was still there in nineteen seventy when I was there. And I only got a game when when Davey Wattie ever got injured and uh, played two or three games. My last appearance for Elgin, would you believe, was New Year's Day. I think it was 1971, mm-hmm. um, and it was New Year's Day. And half past one kickoff uh, at Lossy Mouth. We played played in goal the week before. We beat them seven nil at Borough Briggs. Different story the week after. It was at Grant Park in Lossy Mouth. Lossy Mouth played a guy called Tommy Sanderson, a really well-known centre half who played for many many clubs. A really experienced centre half was Tommy Sanderson. That day against a young seventeen-year-old Dave Edwards, Lossy played him at centre forward. Uh, it was a, a rock hard pitch that day. It was New Year's Day. Big big crowd at Grant Park. Lossy Mouth beat us three 0 That was my last game for Elgin City. I think I carried the can that day a wee bit. <laughs> but if I remember rightly, Dougal Grant scored an own goal that day. Uh, Ali Shewan, I think, scored an own goal that day. And uh, Tommy Sanderson knocked me and the ball into the back of the net for one of the goals. And the referee, I'll never forget his name, referee A. M. Smith from Kinloss, an Englishman. Awarded the goal. I was lying in the back of the net with the ball. I said, "Come on, referee!" And he said, "Shoulder charge, young man. Goals awarded." So that was that was my last appearance for Elgin. After that, I went and joined my hometown club, Rothis. Made my debut for Rothis on a cold, wet, windy night at Recreation Park in Peterhead. I let in two goals. Both goals scored by young seventeen-year-old on loan to Peterhead from Aberdeen. His name, Ole Miller. Cheeso. Willie Miller, there you go, eh? Willie Miller was playing centre-forward for Peterhead that that night. But round about the same time, Dugby was a a Mm centre-forward with with, uh, Keith. Uh, Jim Layton, latterly, was on loan to Deverin Vale. Uh, Alec McLeish, I think Big Alec was either on loan to Lewis United or Muggy Moss. I think it was maybe Lewis United Alec McLeish was on loan to. So Fergie loaned them all out to Highland League and junior teams to give them that necessary experience and it really made men of them absolutely but uh, what uh, I was going to say what a lot of goals you conceded there Dave but listen as a fellow goalkeeper you're only as good as your defence <laughs> I played in some in front of some uh, behind some very good very good centre halves uh, Dougal Grant at Elgin City was, was immense I remember the night I remember the night we played Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup tie that year and um, it was off on the Saturday with waterlogging uh, we were all set to go down to the ground. We were sitting there in the Cali Hotel having lunch. What came through the game was was uh, waterlogged. The game was off, and I think it was either the Monday or the Tuesday night. Maybe the Monday night. I think we played them at Petodre. Uh, and I remember walking out in the pitch at Petodre for a wee warm up. Davy Lottie was not feeling very well, and he was he was being sick in the, the dressing room. I thought, well, Davy, I didn't want to play. I'm only seventeen. I big too big a game for me, and it was really. But Lottie recovered and went out and did a wee warm up. And I'm looking up and thinking, these lights are absolutely wonderful compared with the floodlights at Borough Briggs. <laughs> Dave says, take another. You know, one of the guys says, Dave, take another look. And I look up, and there was only one of the four uh, pylons were on, and the lights were amazing. And uh, went out that night, and uh, as I say, I was I was sitting on the bench for the Elgin. We got beat five 0 but uh, I, I remember that one especially because it was Ali Shewan who'd played for Aberdeen with great distinction. Mm-hmm. I think Ali went something like three hundred games at the time. He never missed a game, and this was him going back to where he made a name for himself in the Elgin City strip. Uh, it was a great night for Ali. We got beat five 0 and uh, I remember going into the dressing room after the game. My all-time hero goalkeeper and you know when you were a kid you, you would be a goalkeeper and who do you want to be I'm Bobby Clark and Bobby played against that Elgin City that night and I went into the dressing room and Bobby was getting a wee rub down after the game and I spoke to him he gave time to me for about 20 minutes and half an hour after the game I was bewitched by my, my hero lying on the treatment table there and they had to come and find me take me away on the bus I was just entranced by the great Bobby Clark who's incidentally has just moved to, to Lossie Mouth I would love to meet up with Bobby Clark again and hopefully I will someday soon
Brilliant, brilliant stuff. So after, um, well, Rothis is your your next step after Elgin. Um, after Rothis, or was that uh, the uh, end of the the career? I went to juniors. I went to Rothis. Would you believe Rothis Decimals, a club <laughs> who were founded on February the fifteenth, nineteen seventy, which was Decimalisation Day, hence the name Rothis Decimals. Brilliant. My local junior team, and uh, I, I stepped down from Rothis and, and I joined Decimals, and I think at about seven or eight, really, really enjoyable seasons playing uh, for Rothis Decimals in the junior league before I was transferred with my work as a. In the building, I was in the bank at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Aberdeen to work in 1973-74. Uh, I came home every weekend and played for the Decimals. And after about six seasons, I moved through to Aberdeen uh, on a permanent basis. And had a season with a team called St. Macher, who, like the Decimals, uh, are defunct. So that's two teams I played for are defunct. But there were, there were good times at, at that time. You obviously you stop you stop playing football. You're obviously, as you mentioned there, you've you've got a, a profession behind you as well. I'm interested to know because. How did the journalism come about? How, where did you get started? How did you get started in, in journalism? It, it came about in a funny way, actually. I, I moved back up to uh, the north around about, what was it, 1986, something like that. I moved back up uh, with the Building Society to take over the offices in Banff and Turriff. And um, I used to listen to Murray Firth Radio in the mornings, as you do. Um, greats like Titch McCooey and... and uh, you know, Ron Atkinson, Gary McLean, all these people. Um, and you used to listen in the sports news. Alan Gillis would do the sports news of the morning, half past seven, half past eight. And uh, a guy called Mike Edwards, uh, who went on to develop a, a great career, both in the of course, in STV. Army and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and uh, news. Yep. He was, Mike was head of uh, STV News, wasn't he, for many, many years? Yep. Well, he used to go in the morning and say, you know, you see that game last night, I thought the referee was rubbish, or what do you think of that, that performance by, say, Cali or, or something, you know? And if, you, if you've got an opinion, phone me in. So I phoned in a couple of times, and Mike phoned me one day, and he said, Dave, he says, I like your voice. I think you could maybe do a match support for, for MFR in, in the Highland League. I said, I don't be daft. I've never done anything like that in my life. He says, no, I think you could. So uh, Julie did it one week, and uh, basically I did it as a volunteer sports reporter or football reporter no wages no expenses I did it for the next 12 years oh I did get expenses once I was doing a Scottish Cup tie I was working in Wick in the Bone Society time I went down to now I used to think I used to think it was uh, East Fife I went to but Billy Ferris corrected me not so long ago the great Billy Ferris of Ross County it was a Scottish Cup replay and it was at Alawa Athletic and I remember it because Chris Somerville of Ross County was sent off after about 5 minutes and then County got beat, I think, one or two nil in the night. And uh, I left to go to Alawa about half past twelve lunchtime from Wick on the evening. And I got back up about four o'clock. And later that week, I got a cheque for £5 for my petrol. And I wish I'd framed it, because it was one and only time I ever got expenses. Or well, I wasn't looking for anything, but yeah. I wish I'd framed it, because <laughs> it was a long drive doing and an even longer drive home until four in the morning. <laughs> and I wish I'd framed that five, or it would be nice to do so. MFR, I mean, as I said earlier on, we've got a similar connection. I remember 2006, very very similar, actually. I started as a trainee at MFR, and Gary Muircroft that did the breakfast show did the same to me. He says, you sound like I've got a good voice. Go and, go and do a game. And I, I always remember at Lossiemouth versus Clachnacud in February 2006, my first game. Now, in those days, or in 2006, I went out with a, a mobile phone. How... Easy was it to to report on a on a game pre mobile phone either for MFR and the Highland League? Well, you used to have to just take a wee note in your notebook and then and run up and, and find that find a phone box. But <laughs> I think I was the first sports reporter to get the mobile phone from Murray Firth Radio. Okay, and uh, it was it was like a concrete block. It was the size of a concrete block, and it was the same weight as a concrete block. And when you rang the number, everyone in the ground heard it. It went beep 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 beep. Yep. playing Airdrie in a Scottish Cup tie 
miserably cold, snowy night. And it was a draw at 90 minutes. It went to extra time. It was a draw after 120 minutes. And it went to penalties at the, oh, I would say, the, the uh, what would you say, closer end of the old Telford Street, nearest the, the shopping centre is now. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I phoned up the station. I said, look, this game's gone to penalties. Do, do you want it live? I can't remember who was on. They said, I will have it live. So I duly gave them the penalty shootout. And thankfully, Cali won the penalty shootout. But a week later, I was called into Thomas Prague's office, the, the managing director. He said, you know what you've done? I said, no. He says, we've just had a bill for £1,000 from the SFA. Oh, shit. Fine by the SFA for £1,000 for uh, relaying live broadcast. We haven't got the rights to do so. So I wasn't the most popular character at the time, but ah, the hell it was. I think it was worth it. And Murray first duly paid the SFA a fine of £1,000. But I, I took it to... If you add up all the wages I might have got, or all the expenses I've got over a 12-year period, that may be even things out over the Well, time. I was going to say, for all the, the voluntary work you did, um, that kind of pretty much even things out. I'm interested to 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 get your opinions, because, again, I don't want to, to bore yourself or the listeners, but I'm very passionate about local radio. And at that time, I mean, MFR started in 1982, so I'm assuming that, that Highland League coverage provided by yourself and a few others as well was was pretty was pretty groundbreaking at the time for the for the station but it's maybe something that's perhaps missing from a local radio station these days i think that's probably right um i, I worked with some great professionals i used to link in the program was jeff jones jeff jones, jeff jones was the dj who, who did the yes. sports afternoon from the three o'clock to six o'clock and various sports editors they had over the time there was mike edwards there was donald fraser uh, Bill Anderson, the late great Bill Anderson. Bill Anderson, of and, course. Uh, really, really good people to work with. Um, I, I remember, I'll tell you a funny story. There was one afternoon, uh, I would normally link in at halftime with a halftime update, wherever I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the halftime updates were, were, were kept folk informed of what was happening around the grounds. Maybe two or three various folk used to link in with a halftime report, and then I would come in at full time. But there was this day, um, there, was, there was basically no games, and it, there was a, it was a day off, so I was down in Glasgow, would you believe, shopping. And I went into the store, and uh, it was a store called. Um, well, you 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 you'll know the store. It was the it was the the where you would buy all your suits, um, and they're all over now. Uh, oh, um, uh, Slaters, no? Slaters, it was Slaters. It yep. was. They're now in Inverness, they're in Aberdeen, they're yep. in Newcastle, they're Chester, they're everywhere. But there was only one store in Scotland, in Aberdeen as well. The store was down by near the Clyde in Glasgow. So I went into Slater's and I said to the guy, I was looking at, you know, a pair of trousers and a shirt and things like that. I said, could you tell me where the nearest public phone box is? He says, why would you want a public phone box? I says, well, it's half past three. At quarter to four, I've got a link into Jeff Jones's programme at quarter to four and tell him I'm not at a game today. There's no games and I'm actually down in Glasgow. He says, young man, come with me. So I thought, where are you taking me? So he took me upstairs. It's a great big warehouse. He took me up to, the store, up to the, this room, went into this office, and he says, can I introduce you to Mr. Ralph Slater, the founder of this company? Okay. So I went in and he said, uh, tell Mr. Slater the story you just told me. And I just told him, you know, I'm in Glasgow, I'm looking to buy something, but I've got a link in and I need a public phone box. I want to phone Jeff Jones uh, and Murray for Radio at Halftime Report. He says, young man, you can do so on my own private telephone if you tell Mr. Jones that you're at Slater's store in Glasgow, I will give you 20% off whatever you buy in my shop this afternoon. <laughs> and there we go. So I left that afternoon with two suits, a couple of shirts, a pair of trousers and three ties. Good as his word, he gave me 20% off my bill at the end of the day by linking it to Jeff Jones. said, Jeff, you'll never know where I am this afternoon. Not at Harmsworth Park. I'm not at McKessick Park. I'm not even at Station Park in Erden. I'm at Slater's menswear store in Glasgow, and they've looked after me wonderfully well. And that was a great experience, and it was lovely to meet Ralph Slater. Sadly now gone, but he was the founder of that company, and they're now a, a multi, multi-million pound company, I think, Slater's. That's quite incredible, and I'd imagine that um, in years, in a few years' time, given the fact that the radio stations are a commercial radio station, someone would be chasing for a fee for a free mention of Slater's is the the way it goes <laughs> these days. But uh, but that's that's brilliant. And Jeff Jones, I mean that that brings back so many memories for myself because Jeff was actually 
in and around the station at the same time that, that I was doing reports and uh, he's he sadly no longer with us. The Press and Journal is some, again, as I mentioned at the very start, a lot of people will know Dave Edwards as the Press and Journal's sports reporter. How did the move to the Press and Journal come about? Were you doing that at the same time as MFR or is that completely different? It was completely different. I was doing MFR. Um, I was actually made redundant on my job as a building society manager. Um, I was I was manager at Elgin, Bucky and Forest at the time mm-hmm. and they closed Bucky office. And I really should have I really should have seen the writing in the wall, but I didn't. And uh, they made me redundant with all the other managers. And for a year, I was out of a job. And uh, it was pretty tough because I just just a week earlier, I bought the house I live in at the moment. And I hadn't sold my house up in Caithness. And my uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, she had a wee house in Banff she hadn't sold. So things were pretty tough. Um, and, and if she hadn't been working, it really would have been even tougher because I was... We're basically playing three mortgages and no, no job, no, no money coming in from my side of things. But a year down the line, I saw, I saw uh, an advert in the paper for a sports supporter of the Press and Journal. And I thought, well, I can speak about it. You know, it's easy mm-hmm. to speak about it. I don't know if I can write about it, but we'll give it a go. And I um, applied for the job. I got an interview. And uh, the interviewees were Jim Dolan, the, the sports uh, sports editor at Murray Firth and uh, the deputy editor, a lady a lady uh, from Elgin um, and she, Kay Drummond was her name um, and uh, at the interview I got the impression that Jim wasn't overly enamoured with my radio background. He'd, he'd actually come from Radio Clyde at one point himself, he had a radio background but I don't think he, he wanted anybody else with a radio background but, but Kay Drummond did and uh, Kay gave me the job um, I think it was much against Jim's better judgment that Kay gave me the job and the reason I think part of the reason she gave me the job was I went to Elgin Academy maybe it was the old schools act she went to Elgin Academy and she said to me years later that she remembered uh, when she went to the school in the first year at the annual uh, prize giving at the school it was in the uh, in the playhouse in Elgin she remembers me going on stage along with my school uh, teammate Ian MacDonald who also played for Scotland as a schoolboy at the same time she remembers us going in on stage to pick up our international caps given by the rector at the time and she remembered that and she said I remember you at that time and uh, that's why I wanted you to come and work for me at the Press and Journal. I'm eternally grateful to Kay Drummond for giving me the start of that career 22-23 years ago I, I don't know what I would have done at the time if I hadn't got that job. Quite uh, well, quite a story as well because I mean Newspapers tend to look for someone with, you know, a, a, a journalism degree, you know, for yeah. example, you know, so that that's quite, uh, and as you said, 22 years, so, you know, it was obviously uh, Kay's uh, better judgment paid off. That time, so 1998, is that around about 1998? Yeah, you start with the Press and Journal. The, the Highland League, as you've known it and uh, covered it with uh, MFR for a few years, has completely changed in that, uh, well, in kind of four or five years. Uh, before '98, there's obviously um, some teams that have moved up, like uh, mm-hmm. well, Caledonian and Thistle merged, as we all know, and and Ross County moved up with them to the Scottish Senior Setup, and Elgin City and Peterhead would follow two years later. Um, how has the Highland League changed over the years for yourself, um, working uh, in and around it? Um, how yeah. is it? How has it changed? It was, I mean, I started actually uh, based in Elgin and Inverness, and my first job with the P&J was covering Cali Thistle and Ross County. Right, okay, so, okay. Yeah, so I did their press, press conferences uh, a couple of times a week each. So I was up at Victoria Park, Dingwall and, and Caledonian Stadium a couple of times each week. Um, and uh, that, that was great experience. It was wonderful experience. And about six months down the line, my colleague who covered the Highland League at that time for the Press and Journal, um, a chap called Mike Tremlett, uh, he moved through to Aberdeen. He was given the the, the, the job of covering Aberdeen, and that uh, created an opening for someone to cover the Highland League. And it was just like manna from heaven for me. And yep. um, I was I was in a job that uh, had been doing for twelve years at Murrayfirth Radio. And uh, when I started doing that, obviously they, they decided that they didn't want me doing radio as well. They wanted people to to buy the paper and read about Highland League on a on a Monday and every other day. They didn't want them to listen to it. So, but it was just I fell into it um, by chance when when Mike got moved to Aberdeen. But I just loved it. Although I will agree, Ian, that I always find the spoken word 
a lot easier than the written word. Because I can't <laughs> do shorthand. Um, I use the dictaphone uh, faithfully. Um, it's never really let me down. Um, except once when I ran out of batteries when I was interviewing the legendary Bobby Clark, <laughs> ex Scotland, ex Aberdeen. And he, he, took an, he took an American uh, college team. He was a, 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 a lecturer at college in the States. And he took them over to play two or three Highland League sides. And they were playing Lossie Mouth one day. And I was interviewing my hero outside Grant Park at Lossie Mouth. And would you believe my batteries run out? And I said, Bobby, can you give me a minute? I ran along to a shop about uh, half a mile away. I got back puffing and panting about five, six, seven minutes later and Bobby had stopped the team bus to go away to speak to me for an extra five minutes. I'll be eternally grateful grateful to him for that. He's just a just a wonderful, wonderful man, my hero Bobby Clark. But that was the only time I really came unstuck uh, with, with, with technical issues in, in doing the football. But the the the, the press and journal was, was, was great for me. It allowed me to follow High League football. As you say, at a time when when things were changing things were really, really changing. And you go back to the to the time that, that, that Caledonian and Ross County both got into the senior leagues. That was a wonderful, wonderful occasion for, I think many people thought that Cali Thistle would go in, but very few gave Ross County a chance of making it a Highland double. Mm-hmm. And it really was. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing to happen for the Highlands. And I think m- much of the credit, or most of the credit, must go to a man called Jock McDonald. Yep, Doc was a, yeah. a wonderful, wonderful chairman of Inverness Thistle. I think he poured the biggest drams I've ever seen. <laughs> you never, I never ever took a drink when I was at a football match, but the drams you could have had, I mean, you would have staggered home, the drams that were poured by Jock. And the, he was the manager at Tomatin Distillery. Tomatin, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Jock poured a mean, mean dram. Uh, but he was a wonderful man. I think the only man that ever had a, a chair at Caledonian Stadium with his name on the back of it, and also... At Victoria Park, as I call it in Dingwall, Jock McDonald had his own seat at Victoria Park. And if Cali were down south, Jock would go and watch Ross County as well. I think it was a wonderful thing and a wonderful man. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've never actually, well, I never got a chance to, to meet him, but I've um, seen lots yeah, of him, lots of video clips and uh, a character is the, 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 the obvious word that, that springs to mind. When you're working for the Press and Journal, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but for people that are they're listening just now uh, home and, and their they're socially distancing walk. Uh, what does the kind of typical match day reporting day consist of for yourself as a yeah. as a as a, a press and general reporter on a, a typical Highland League match day? What does that day consist of? Well, you you you, uh, you try to get the ground as, as early as you can. I like to get to the ground between an hour and three quarters of an hour before the game. Um, because uh, part of my task at the game is to set up a couple of interviews for maybe for Tuesday's paper and, and maybe even Wednesday's paper if I can fill in a couple of stories, maybe one person from each team um, to, to set that up before the match. Just you know, grab somebody and say, "Can I have what we after the game? Maybe and, and do something about your, you know, maybe something you've been doing or maybe just coming back from injury." You tend to do that before the game. You actually get your team lines as well, and you study the team lines, and you you actually when when I'm doing a, 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 a the main game for the, the press and journal, you get your, your your team lines down first and your substitutes because, you know, most of the time your your team lines are appearing in the in the paper as as, as well as the match report. So you, you get that done as well before the game. And uh, for the, the main game I do, you're actually doing the game as it goes along. Yep. And uh, I'm just looking at my windows. I, a little a road deer has just ran across my lawn. There you go. That's, that's, that's brought a bit of colour to the production. Uh, but you you you, uh, you you get your teams and you, you you do your match as it goes along. You actually you know write down what's happening, do your action as as it goes along. And if you're unlucky enough to miss something, you you you, you grab the guy next. You say, what happened there? Did, did I miss something? As you're writing it away, and um, and then at the end of the game, you uh, you finish your match report. You go downstairs. And you uh, wait for the managers to come out of the dressing room. That could take ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It could take up to an hour. But you wait it out. Um, you've seen. I've seen lock-ins. I've seen many, many lock-ins. Um, I've seen managers who take their time. The worst culprit of all was a probably the biggest, biggest, biggest celebrity or, or character that's been in high league football for the last three decades. A chap called Charlie Duncan from Fraserburgh. Yes. Charlie never had any rush. Take him out of the dressing room. You know, Charlie would always 
Charlie would always take his time, he would uh, chat to everybody, and he'd, he'd, he'd emerge eventually. Uh, I'm going to give you one story about Charlie Duncan. I was doing a Fraser for a Forest Mechanics game at Bellsley one day, and uh, I went in, did the interview, and uh, got a couple of players, and I went in to say to you, Charlie, and here's Dave Mulroy, the ex uh, Inverness Thistle legend, yep. uh, who played for Cali latterly. David Mulroy was the Forest manager, and I David, you should be away, should you know? He says, no, 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 the boys will get me. I said, no, your bus went about 10 minutes ago. You're joking. I said, no. He says, well, they're away without me. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going now. Um, does your bus stop, still stop at McDuff for chips? He says, I do. So he says, could you give me a lift? So I'm going home, and I gave Milroy a lift to the chip shop in McDuff. I said, you're going to tear into them? He says, you just wait. So Milroy went in, and he destroyed them for leaving the ground without the manager. <laughs> but he'd been having a couple of, couple of vodkas with Charlie in, in Charlie's wee room, and then had forgotten about him. There you go. That's a wee story from, from the biggest character, Charlie Duncan. But no, you, you, you wait, and you get your manager's reaction. I say, it could take 10 minutes. It could take an hour. But you, you get your reaction. You give them a wee while maybe to cool down. And... Uh, what I used to do, um, these days you file your stuff on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and the olden days you used to do it on a Sunday, and I would always call the manager on a Sunday morning, maybe it, you, you, read, you read some of their stuff and you say, this is what you said to me last night, now you've cooled down, do you really want to say what you said? Mm-hmm. And maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I did. And I've maybe saved a few folk a trip to Park Gardens in Glasgow for, for one or two comments that maybe they'd overstepped the mark, just with a little bit of heat of the moment stuff, they maybe said something that really would have landed them in soapy water. I didn't want to do that to them because I had to deal with them week in, week out for however many years it came to be, you know? Yep. I had to do that one or two times over the years with one or two managers who will remain nameless. But I'm, I'm looking here, I mean, um, I'm trying to think back when I was in the office with you and, and Elgin, I mean, your contact book was bursting at the seams, but I mean, you pretty much had everyone's number and the, the, you know, everyone that was anyone in Highland League, you had their number, but you also had to gain their trust from them as well because, like you said there, you know, phoning them on the Sunday morning, they had to trust you and nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they, they did. You know, they, they wouldn't speak to you otherwise, so they must have they've trusted you as well. So it's a, a fine balance as a as a journalist. That's true, and, 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 and do you know what? I, I think that was that was a watchword, really. If somebody said to you, a manager or a player said to you, Dave, you know, uh, this is happening, but can you keep it quiet till Friday or Wednesday? And I'll come back to you on Wednesday and maybe line up a picture for you, maybe a signing or something like that. Yep. And I never, ever, never, ever um, divulged the confidence. I, I took it as... That was a trust thing between myself and my mum. Maybe my desk wouldn't have agreed with it. They might have said, well, as soon as you knew, you should have told us. But it was a confidence. And if you if you divulged that confidence and went with the story early, you would guarantee that you would never get anything from that, 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 that person again. And I think that was the way to do it. And that was the way I always did it, you know. And uh, it, it held me in good stead over many, many years. Uh, many a story I got and uh, we didn't go with it. Um, and they, they told me, they said, nobody else is going to get it, Dave. You will get the story when it breaks. You'll be the first to get it because I trust you. And uh, trust is a two-way street, really, isn't it? Absolutely. I want to, t- I want to take you back to your... Um, mainly because I, I always felt really um, really sorry. Um, as, as I've been in many press boxes over the years. And, you know, as a, as a radio journalist and a written journalist, there's, there's various differences. I must admit, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, I was delighted to hear the final whistle, knowing that you can slink downstairs, grab your chat with the the manager, or the player, and nine times out of ten, you know, you'd be fine to hand it in in the morning or chop a thirty second clip up for the news in the morning. But you guys were often working at the wee small hours, and of course, you've got a deadline looming as well. How how stressful is that, having a midweek game now? And again, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you might be in areas that have. Um, Poor Wi-Fi quality, etc. You know how how stressful is that having a midweek deadline? Yeah, yeah. I mean, latterly, latterly, the press and general a midweek game. Highland League games were kicking off at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, my deadline was ten o'clock. Jeez. So um, basically, and um, most of my most of my stuff midweek went without managerial quotes because the game wasn't finishing till ten two, or if it was quite a bit of injury time, even five two. So basically, it was a it was a it was a it was a, a send through right on the button, 
and uh, you know it, it wasn't wasn't that easy sometimes. I remember I remember Clark uh, playing a game against Rangers when when Clark were in receivership. Rangers came up and, and played a friendly against Clark, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a, a fundraising exercise for Clark and Curran. And uh, would you believe that night my battery went uh, dead Oof. before the game? So there was a porta cabin uh, at the end, mm-hmm. at, the, at the, uh, the dressing room end at Grant Street Park. And uh, I watched the game from a porta cabin plugged into a, plugged into a plug at the <laughs> socket. And uh, I was basically guessing what was happening. Um, but it's the only way I could do it. And uh, I was getting folk running out telling me what was happening. I, I nipped out and thought, who scored that goal at the other end there? And it was, it was really flying by the seat in my pants. But we got through it. And, and uh, yeah, it was it was tricky. It was uh, especially in some places where, with the signal, as you say, the signal could be a wee bit ropey. I remember doing a game at, at, at Brechin. It was a Scottish Cup replay at Brechin. At Wick Academy, I think we're up four-one against Brechin or something. Yep. And Wick got a uh, Wick gave away two, three goals late on. It was a four-four draw, and the replay was a miserable wet night at, at Glebe Park, Brechin. And again, I didn't have a signal that night. I had no signal. I ran up to the Ashbell Chippers at half time. Still no signal, went upstairs there. The guy let me upstairs, still no signal. And in the end, I was adduced to phoning copy through by the old telephone method to my, my colleague sitting in, Aber- in Aberdeen. Uh, I never ever found out what happened to the signal at, at Glebe Park that night. I think, if I remember right, Academy went down 2 0 and I got soaked. But things like that were sent to try you in, but you, you, you remember it. One, one thing I want to, to, to mention to you as well mm-hmm. I, I used to do a, a, a weekly thing called, it started off as. Uh, where are they now? It was a celebrity, a football celebrity from the past. It latterly became my sporting life. And there was two or three of those. If we did have time, I would like to tell you about because they're really, really interesting tales. If you've got the time. Yeah, uh, go for it. Go for it, Dave. Fire on. Okay. The first one was a, a, a guy called uh, Craig Pollock. Craig Pollock was, uh, he'd been a, a teacher at Keith Grammar School, a PE teacher. Mm-hmm. And when I got a hold of him, uh, he uh, he told me he'd been a PE teacher. He lived in a caravan behind the butcher's park, and there was a, a wire that went into the butcher's back shop, and it gave him either electric for heat or electric for light. He couldn't have both, and he couldn't afford any more than have the one connection. And um, he, he left Keith, and he actually moved. He moved it to uh, a school, a private school in Switzerland. He became a teacher over there, and he became a ski teacher, would you believe? And one of his pupils there, um, he taught skiing. And many years later, or maybe six, seven years later, he met this young lad at the Japanese Grand Prix. And this lad said, do you remember me, Mr. Pollock? He says, yes, I remember you, Jacques. You remember me? He says, yes, I do. This guy was a Jacques Villeneuve was his name. He was the son of Gilles Villeneuve, the okay. former world uh, motor racing champion. Yep, yep. And Jacques Villeneuve went on to have a great career himself. Craig Pollock landed up as, as his manager, and he later found Craig followed, form, formed a team called the British and American Racing Team. And uh, so he went to being a multimillionaire with a house in Monaco, a house in New York, a house in London, Jeez. and his parents, his late parents' house in Pullman and Falkirk two private jets and he was a former PE teacher at Keith Grammar and he couldn't afford more than Jesus. one for the light or the electric there you that's go. one story another one was a guy now his name was Jack Presley he, Jack died in his very late 80s he'd been a great golfer in his time he was a band leader in his pomp he had a, a jazz band and a, and a dance band in his time he was Related is proven. He was related to Elvis Presley, Jeez. and he uh, he had that proved. And Jack played golf every day of his life, uh, even up into his late eighties. He would play golf every day. Designed his own putters. He played in the British Open once. Um, he was a great golfer, a great amateur golfer. He was a beaten finalist in the Scottish Amateur at one point. But I did a feature on Jack, and I was so so glad. I did it because I was at uh, the Millennium Stadium doing my one and only game for Scotland uh, international football. Scotland got beat 4-0 that night. Um, a little guy from West Brom scored a hat-trick for Wales that night. Um, his name escapes me. 
Robbie uh, Robbie Earnshaw. That's him. Yep. That's him. He's got a hat trick that night. Uh, the press conference with uh, Bertie Volks was understandably downbeat. Uh, all my colleagues spoke to Bertie and then spoke to Earnshaw as well. And I was left to get a story from one of the Scottish team. Uh, Jim Dolan gave me the, the directive. You need to get a Scottish player. You'll know the system, Ian. The mix zone. Yes. The players. Each of the players walked straight past me onto the bus. The last one came out, walked onto the bus, and I shouted to him. I said, Stephen, Dave Edwards, Press and Journal. I did a story with your granddad a couple of weeks ago. Can you have a word with me? And he stopped, and he came back, and he said, Dave, thank you so much. My granddad sent me down the story. It was a wonderful tribute to him. I'll gladly have a word with you. And that saved me that day. It really did, because I was the only one who got a, a quote from any Scottish players. And well done to Elvis Presley, Stephen Presley, uh, former uh, Hearts Rangers um, centre-half for, for, for doing that. And he did it because Fortnite earlier had done the story with his granddad. And I'm going to give you one last story. I phoned this guy one night, and I said to him, you played in front of one of the biggest... Uh, and I saw him in telly last night, actually, uh, in a Scotland team. Um, oh, was that the, uh, the against, 74? Against yeah, yeah, yeah. I phoned him and I said, you played in one of the biggest games ever uh, played in Scotland. I think it was 138,000 there that night. At, mm-hmm. It's at uh, Hamden when you played for Leeds United against Celtic and goal. He says, I did. He says, but could you phone back tomorrow night? And I says, could you tell me why? He says, well, I'm a part-time crofter and at the moment I've got one two and one calf. In a three or four hours' time, I will have one coup and two calves. I'm busy delivering a calf as we speak. Could you phone me tomorrow night? So I phoned him the next night, and he says, Now I'm the proud owner of a cow and two calves. And uh, I don't really think I want to speak about my football career, because nobody here on the island of Sandy and Orkney knows my, knows my story. I says, Well, they deserve to know your story. He says, no, I'm just a village postie. I wait on the landing strip on the beach. I get the mail. I go round the farms and the crofts. And I do my, my postie work. I'm a part-time crofter. And, you know, I, I don't think I want to tell the story. But he did. And he told the story of how the only place in Britain he could afford with five kids was Sandy and Orkney. It's the only place he could afford a six-bedroomed house. And that was where he moved to. And he was 138,000 that night, Hamden. He was David Harvey, the Scotland goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper of the tournament in the 1974 World Cup. And I watched Harvey keep a clean sheet against uh, Brazil last night uh, on, uh, on the telly. And he was a lovely, lovely man. I think he probably is still in the Isle of Sandy. And a very self-effacing man. He didn't want anybody in Ireland to know they'd been actually been a famous footballer. But we told the story, and uh, I'm glad we did. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I actually watched him in a, a movie last night. I'm sure he appears in the Damned United. I watched that last night on the, the iPlayer. Um, I'm sure he was oh, in that Leeds team. Yeah, Dave. Listen, that is um, that. That's exactly what I was talking about at the very start. I used to love sitting and listening to your your stories in the the Elgin office. And um, now I know that yourself and Martin Johnston have a, a YouTube channel, um, which which um, I urge listeners to to um, check it out because it's brilliant and it, it has a lot of great stories like that uh, Northern Lights mm-hmm. Northern Lights on YouTube so so give that a, give that a, um, definitely check that out Dave before you go I just want to ask you a couple of quick fire questions because as I said at the very start you've done it all in terms of the Highland League um, but we need to know the definitive answers to these questions uh, Dave who's the best player you've watched from the press box in the Highland League that's a difficult one um I didn't watch Willie Grant play Highland League football. Um, he was the best goal scorer I've ever seen. Late great Willie Grant, who scored 350 goals in Highland League football, including 248 in eight seasons for Elgin City. Willie averaged almost a goal and a half a game. He was a magnificent goal scorer and a magnificent header of the ball. But I think the best player I've ever seen in Highland League football, I think it must go to Charlie Duncan. Charlie Duncan of uh, Fraserburgh, Peterhead, Inverness Thistle, Bucky Thistle. Mm-hmm. I once saw Charlie nutmeg Danny McGrain uh, in a, a testimonial game uh, up at Inverness Thistle. <laughs> Charlie nutmeg him and went down the other side and took the ball away from him. And to do that to someone of Danny McGrain's stature took a lot of courage, a lot of uh, self-belief and a lot of cheek. And I think probably Charlie Duncan was the, 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 the most 
gifted Highland League footballer I've seen in my time and it was a delight to watch him Now you've mentioned him already Charlie Duncan in a, in a manager capacity who was the best manager for yourself to work with another difficult question because you've you've obviously dealt with a, a lot over your time Yep um, I've had many many great managers to deal with I've only ever fallen on the wrong side of a couple I fell on the wrong side of a Cali Thistle manager at one time uh, Mr Butcher but the least said about that one the better <laughs> um, but the, the, the manager I got on best with um, was I, I, I think a manager that told me an awful lot of things and I kept them to myself over the years and I never divulged any confidence he ever gave me and it's the most successful manager I would say in Highland League football uh, over the last two, three decades maybe even the last 50 years in many ways he won the title twice he won the title four times twice with two different clubs twice at Devonville and twice with Bucky Thistle first time Bucky had won it for over 50 years he won it and he retained it and that guy's name was Greg Carroll yep. had a great relationship with Greg Carroll now a prison warden in Brixton down in London but I speak to Greg fairly often and uh, I would like to think it sometime soon you never know he might give us time and he might appear on uh, on our Northern Lights programme that would be a great treat for me but Greg Carroll four titles you just can't argue with that two were different uh, two each with Devonville and two with Bucky Thistle a great manager Ah, oh, brilliant! I look out. Hopefully, you can uh, you can get Greg on. That'll be um, that'll be great watching for sure. Uh, last two questions: Your best ground? What's your favourite ground to visit? Your best your your best ground to visit in the Highland League? Well, I've got, I've kind of got to say McKessick Park, but uh, <laughs> McKessick Park aside, um, I love I love uh, love many many grounds. I love going to Wick. I love going to Brora. I love going to Fort William because I think the scenery is absolutely stunning. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one little last story. I was at, I was two stories about Fort William. The first visit to uh, uh, Claggan Park was many many years ago, and there wasn't a huge crowd that day. And at halftime, I smelt pies, and I thought that sounds really good. So I wandered around the pie shop. And I said to the lady, can I have a cup of tea and a pie, please? She says, there you go, there's your cup of tea. But I'm sorry, son, we've just sold out of the pies. I said, well, that's disappointing. I saw a guy eating a pie a minute ago. She says, yes, we had six, and I've sold them all. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, now, there's a wee sparry up the road. If you watch the, t- the, the, the tea shop, the pie shop, I'll go up and get you a cold sausage roll, if you like. I said, my darling... That would be very, very nice. I'm quite happy with a cup of tea. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then it was another night. I was at, I was reporting on a game at uh, Claggan Park. It was a beautiful sunny night. And at that time, it was the start of the young kids coming back to follow Fort William. And I was sitting in the old enclosure, which is, you know, the old one that's kind of derelict now. Mm-hmm. I was sitting over there. It's about 50 yards from the pitch. And the pitch is a long way away. Yeah. So I'm sitting there doing my, doing my, um, my report. And the kids start up singing just after half time, you know, they start singing, they start chanting. All of a sudden I'm listening to this, I think, I think they're speaking, they're singing about me. And they're singing, who's the fanny with a laptop? Who's the fanny with a laptop? And I thought, isn't he speaking about? So I went up and I says, boys, if you listen in, or if you go and buy your P&J tomorrow, you'll find out exactly the fanny with a laptop but thank you for the thank you for the song I shall appreciate it greatly and that was the kids there must be 60 or 70 of them and, and they made my night that night and uh, you'll remember Audrey at the P&J yes remember her very well Audrey regaled me with that song quite often in the office and, and it's probably stuck with me now I was that fanny in the laptop at Claggan Park and don't let me forget it well I've just found the subtitle for this uh, for this episode on, on iTunes <laughs> Dave Edwards, um, Dave, the the most probably my um, my be, my best question, my, the most difficult question for you this evening, best halftime boofy. Oh no, no, no! Right, <laughs> now we're talking. The the, the late uh, Lorna McIntosh at uh, at Lossiemouth. Lorna's Lorna sadly passed away. She was the wife of the. The secretary, now chairman, Alan McIntosh Lorna made the most astounding millionaire shortbread It was wonderful um, Clash in the cousin 
the, the, the lady at Clachnacurran used to make the, the most amazing custard slices. That custard slice was not an easy thing to eat at half time. And the cakes that she made were equally as good, but equally as, equally as bad for your suit because you used to cover in flour. Um, every, everywhere was very, very welcome and, and, and very enjoyable. Um, Keith was excellent. Fraser, the pies at Fraser at half time are exceedingly nice. Um, the secret is that little pies, I think it was no hole in the top was mince, one hole was steak, and two holes was chicken. That was the secret. <laughs> uh, you were welcomed in, as you'll know, as a journalist in the Highland League, covering Highland League, you're welcome into boardrooms all over the north. They make you very, very welcome. And um, it was lovely. It was lovely to, to go in and have a cup of tea. And the stories you picked up having a wee blether at halftime was absolutely wonderful. And I wouldn't have changed the last 57 years. And hopefully a wee while longer yet, Ian, I wouldn't have changed them for anything. Absolutely. And we um, well, we hope that um, everyone stays safe during the, the coronavirus pandemic. And at the moment we're recording in lockdown, hopefully lockdown will be lifted soon and we hopefully... I know it's not top of the, the list for everyone, but hopefully we'll see football back and especially Highland League football and, and yourself um, with your laptop sitting at the side, knocking up another match report. Dave, it's been wonderful chatting to you again. It's been great to, to sit and, and chat over a, a varied career for yourself. Um, but yeah, thanks for your time. The pleasure's been all mine, and I'm sorry if I've rambled on. Uh, <laughs> not at all. As I do, not at it, all. It was, it was great to... Uh, sharing some memories with you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Many thanks. Thank you for listening to Highland Football Weekly. Before you go, one small favour. If you wouldn't mind telling a friend about this podcast, a friend who would like football and, of course, football in the Highlands, if you're on social media, please like and share. And if you're on iTunes, please leave a comment as well. Just realise that's more than one small favour, but you get the gist. See you next week.